baptism, penance, holy Eucharist, confirmation, holy orders, matrimony, the anointing of the sick. Be with us now as Father Frank Pavone leads us to a deeper understanding of the unique signs instituted by Christ on reflections of the sacraments. And now, Father Pavone. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Uh, we're privileged to join you in the reflections that we are making on the sacraments of the Church. You may be aware of Priests for Life. We are an association of clergy that uh, assist the clergy and their congregations to deal with the tragedy of abortion in our nation, and we invite you to pray each day for an end to abortion. We're doing this series on the Holy Sacraments, and we've reflected uh, in the first four programs on the Holy Eucharist, now we're going to begin reflection on the sacrament of baptism. And as we do so, let's turn to the Lord uh, together and uh, ask him to renew the grace of our own baptism within us and to lead as many people as possible to the waters of baptism. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you have come into our world and that you have given us the offer of eternal life. May all people hear the call of the gospel and respond in faith and accept the gift of baptism. And may those of us who are baptized always be aware of our dignity as sons and daughters of God and live in a way that is consistent with that dignity. We ask this of you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Baptism. Let's read the conclusion of St. Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has risen from the dead, has thrown the guards uh, into confusion, and now appears to the eleven disciples. And in verse 16 we read, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the world. Now that's the conclusion of the Gospel of Matthew. And it tells us something very, very important, that we do not baptize people just because it's the customary thing to do. We do not bring our children to church to be baptized just because our parents brought us. We're not just continuing some sort of family tradition. We baptize because we are obeying a command of Christ. He told us to baptize. He said to baptize all the nations. So we need to understand why this is so. And we're going to reflect a little bit about this and draw some practical lessons from the, the reality of baptism and from the ceremony also that it that uh, bestows it. To understand why the Lord commanded that we be baptized, we need to understand why he came. He came into the world in order to free us from the power of sin and death, in order to be our Savior. And we won't appreciate the fact that he's our Savior unless we know what we need to be saved from. And we need to be saved from the evil that is within us and the evil that is outside of us, the evil of sin. 
How often we feel divided within our very selves. We know what is right on the one hand and we find ourselves doing the opposite. The Lord wants to heal that. He wants us to give us the power to do what is right. He, he frees us from, from all kinds of evil and particularly from the evil of death because death is not part of his original plan. He made us that we might live. And so he wants to give us eternal life and resurrection from the dead. And so he came to give us this by himself dying and rising from the dead. He sacrificed himself on the cross to redeem us. He rose, and that's the guarantee of our resurrection. But this happened nearly 2,000 years ago on the uh, uh, hill of Calvary. How do we now, in this day and age, come into contact with that, with that blessing and with those, those gifts that he has given us. We come into contact with it in and through the church and specifically in and through the sacraments and very specifically by means of baptism. That is how we actually receive in our own personal lives the blessings that Christ has gained for us by dying on the cross and rising such a long time ago. There are some other scripture passages that help to make this clear. John's Gospel, for example, in chapter 3. The Lord is speaking with a man named Nicodemus. Let's read the passage. It says, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Amen, Amen. I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person once grown old be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered, Amen, Amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born from above. Now, brothers and sisters, the word that the Lord uses here for above, from above, is a word that can also be translated again, the word anothe. And when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born from above, he understands it as again and says, how can that happen? You can't go into the womb again. Well, of course not, because Jesus is not talking about the kind of physical birth that we have all had. He's talking about a new kind of birth, which is from heaven. A kind of birth which is from him because it introduces us into a life which is from him, namely his life. And it is again, and it is from above. Both translations are correct. Have you ever had somebody ask you, are, are you born again? Or someone identify themselves as a born-again Christian? Well, the answer for us who are Catholics is, well, yes, we have been born again through baptism. That doesn't mean through something that we have done. A lot of times our brothers and sisters of other denominations misunderstand us when we talk about baptism. They think, well, well, no, you know, you don't get born again by something you do. You get born again by something Christ does. Well, yes, but we, receive, we, we believe that the sacraments are actions of Christ. So it's Christ introducing his life into us 
by means of the sacrament of baptism. And you, you realize here in John chapter 3, the passage we just read, the Lord said that we must be born of water and spirit. When we are baptized, we're baptized with water. And by means of that, the Holy Spirit enters into us, filling us with the new life of Christ. So both are essential. It's not either or. It's not be baptized with water or be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the Catholic sacraments, we believe that the baptism with water introduces the life of the Holy Spirit into us. Now, St. Paul speaks about baptism in the letter to the Romans, and this is another crucial passage when it comes to this particular sacrament. It's a foundational sacrament. It opens the doors to all the other sacraments. It's the first one we receive. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Are you not aware, Paul asks in verse 3, that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. For if we have grown into union with him through a death like his, we shall also be united with him in the resurrection. Marvelous things are being said here. Baptism might not be something that we associate with the concept of death. It's something we associate with life, but the reality is that life in the Christian world, comes through death. We are, by baptism, inserted into the death and resurrection of Christ. God looks at us and he says, you're the one who died on the cross. You're the one who was buried. Therefore, you be the one now to live forever and to rise from the dead. What Paul is saying here is, what happened to Christ is meant to be given to us. So that when he rose from the dead, still as a man, but now sharing in the eternal life of God, he was doing that not just for himself. He told us that he had the glory of heaven before the world even began. Why did he have to go through all this suffering and dying and rising again? Well, for us, that's why. He wants to give it to us. And he does so by baptism. He inserts us into his death and resurrection. We are buried with him. You know, there are there is a prayer in the actual ritual of baptism that probably goes by most people who hear it, but if they really did hear it, they might wonder if they were in the right, the right place, because it says, May all who are buried with Christ in the death of baptism rise also with him to newness of life. The death of baptism. You know, baptism is administered in various different ways. The normal way that we administer baptism now is by pouring the water, usually over the, over the forehead. But a person can also be baptized by immersion, where they go down completely under the water, and in fact, go down under and come back up three times. Baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The going down into the water symbolizes death. Coming back up again symbolizes resurrection. This is a reality that the sacrament is inserting us into. So that when we're baptized, whether we're tiny little children or adults, 
we have entered in to a new life. We are children of God. Now, nobody really should have a problem with the baptism of infants. God takes the first step all the time. You know, it's interesting that some of the same people who complain to Catholics that we are putting too much emphasis on man's role in the whole thing and, and, you know, what we have to do in our works and so forth are, are some of the same people who object to us baptizing infants. Well, we baptize infants because it doesn't depend on our work or our response. It depends on God's activity and God's choice and God takes the initiative and God is first. We would be nothing without God. He's the one who took the initiative to give us physical life in the first place. None of us went up to his door and knocked on the door and said, okay, God, it's time for me to come into the world now. We weren't there to do the asking or the earning or anything about it. God took the initiative. God decided that he would give us life and that we would be conceived and born and when that would happen and where that would happen and who our parents would be. We had nothing to say about that. So it is with the new life, the eternal life in baptism. Friends, the Lord Jesus said it. It is not you who have chosen me. I have chosen you. St. John says it also in his first letter. He says, Here is love, not that, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. We could not possibly love God or know him had he not loved us first. So let's not be you know, thrown into uh, uh, confusion over the fact that infants are baptized. They've been baptized from the very beginning. In fact, we read it several places in Scripture about how entire households were baptized. Well, are we, are we to presume that those households had no children? So the church practices the custom of, of, of baptizing at, at all different ages. I, I myself have been privileged to baptize many, many children, and I've even baptized people as old as 74 years. Now, um, it's never too late to get the, the, the new life of God. And we become children of God. And this is very important to understand. Sometimes when, when we hear the term children of God, we figure, well, isn't everybody a child of God? Well, yes and no. Uh, yes, we are in the sense that God has made us all. And nothing exists ap- apart from God's, uh, God's crea- creating it. So we're all his children. He loves us all. He's concerned about us all. He doesn't reject any of us. But there's another sense in which we are not all children of God. We are all creatures of God. But to be a child of God in the, in the way that we're talking about it now means to share not just human life, which every human has, but to share divine life. Now, I'm sitting at a table here as I'm uh, speaking to you, and somebody made this table. But the person who made this table would not come along and say, this table is my son or my child. Well, no, this table is something that the person made. It's not his son, because it doesn't share human life. Now, if in the course of my speaking to you, the table were to start to talk and give its own commentary on the reality of baptism, we would all be somewhat astonished. We don't expect the table to do that because to do that requires human life. The table does not have that kind of life. And so, brothers and sisters, what we're saying in in baptism about becoming children of God is that we begin sharing a type of life which is higher than human life. We all have our human life. And God is not just blessing us when he baptizes us. 
He is giving us a higher form of life, the life of the Holy Trinity, the life of the risen Christ. Where does God live? Well, God is everywhere, right? But when you get baptized, God begins living in you. Oh, wasn't he there before? Well, he was there before in the sense that he was keeping you in existence, but now he's there in a new way, in a higher way. And believe me, I've, I've seen so many different ways nowadays where we have lost sight of the distinctive character of baptism, how baptism makes us different. Now, in many places in the church, we have the, the RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. And this is a, uh, a process, this is a journey of initiating people into the life of the church. And the roots of this go very, very far back to the very beginnings of the church. And it's a marvelous process. I had the privilege of coordinating this for the uh, parish where I was assigned in uh, New York City before uh, getting into my priest for life work. And leading people on this journey was a, was a great renewal in our own faith. But those who were not baptized yet, the ritual of the church provides that at the Mass, they go off to a separate place after the homily. In other words, they've, they've been there to hear the Word of God, and then they go off to learn more about the Word of God, because the next part of the Mass requires doing something that only baptized people can do namely to exercise a share in the priesthood of Christ. And we're going to reflect a little bit later, when we get deeper into the meaning of baptism, that it gives us all a share in the priesthood of Christ. There, there, there are certain people in the, pre, in the church, as myself, who are ordained priests. But every baptized person shares in the priesthood of Christ, and one of the things that that means is that we're able to worship God as Father, we're able to offer him prayers for the for the rest of the world in and through Christ. So, uh, so the uh, those preparing for baptism would be leaving the mass just before the general intercessions, because the general intercessions require that one be baptized to be able to pray in and through Christ for the rest of the world. This is surprising to hear, isn't it? Uh, when the the bread and the wine are consecrated, the priest at the altar offers them up to the Father. Guess what the rest of the people are doing? They're joining in that offering. When when we stand up after the Eucharistic prayer and we pray the Our Father, guess who prays the Our Father? The sons and daughters of the Father pray the Our Father. Now, what are you saying? A person who's not baptized can't say it? Well, they can't say it in the same way because they don't yet share the very life of the Trinity within them, making them sons and daughters of God. This is surprising to many people. But we need to, to get back to this understanding of that, that, that baptism revolutionizes our lives. It introduces something very, very different from, from ordinary human life. We become children of God. Now, for those that may have just joined us, this is Father Frank Pavone speaking to you. I'm the director of Priests for Life, and I'm happy to be speaking to you uh, in this series about the sacraments, and we're reflecting on the marvels of, of baptism. One of the things that baptism does, as we've all learned, is that it takes away original sin. Well, we need to understand what that means. It's not that the baby has, has, has uh, committed a sin, if, if we're baptizing uh, infants. It's that we have received the sin that Adam and Eve committed, 
We receive the actual guilt of, of the sin. And really what it means is that we're deprived of the life of God within us, something that God wants to give us but is not yet there. And it's the absence of this life, which is the uh, the essence of our original sin. Baptism, by filling us with that life, therefore washes away original sin. But we still have to struggle. The fact that we are filled with the life of God does not mean that we are now free from temptation or free from sin. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be marvelous? But we have to wait to he- till heaven itself. Uh, before we can be free from sin and temptation. This world is a struggle until the very last moment. Now, by filling us with the life of God, baptism makes us members of the church. It is the doorway to the church. It makes us, in fact, members of the body of Christ. You remember the passage from First. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12. He says in verse 12, As a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ. Now listen what he says. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free persons, we were all given to drink of one spirit. We are one body, one body in Christ. What does that mean? You know, when I say to you, or when I say to the people I'm preaching to, I say brothers and sisters, that's not just a comparison or a metaphor. That's a reality. Some people think, well, it means that it's something as if we were children of the same parents. Well, it's, it's, it's not as if. It's as real as that. We are brothers and sisters, because we do have common blood, the blood of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. When you're baptized, when I'm baptized, when someone was baptized a thousand years ago and when someone will be baptized a thousand years from now, if the world lasts that long, they're all receiving the same Christ, the same Spirit. Someone who's being baptized right now in in Africa someplace is receiving the same spirit as someone being baptized in North America. And so we all are being drawn into the one and the same Christ. We become the body of Christ. Christ himself is the head. He is God. We, though, are the members. And just as intimately as our hand or our arm is joined to our body, so are we joined to Christ, forming one living organism, which St. Augustine called the totus Christus, the, the total Christ, the whole Christ. That's the church. Baptism makes that happen. Now, don't confuse baptism with the baptism that St. John gave or the baptism that Christ underwent or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. These are different things. St. John the Baptist, we know, baptized. That's why he's called the baptizer. And we read about him in the Gospels that prior to the coming of Christ, the people came to him to be baptized. But his baptism, as he explained, was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And the people came confessing their sins, and 
They were going down into the water and coming back up again to make it clear that they were preparing the way in their own hearts and souls to welcome the Messiah. It's something that we all have to do. The first step in the Christian life is is this repentance upon hearing the word of God. We, we turn away from our sins. So this baptism was a preparatory repentance, turning away from sin. It was not the, the actual uh, sacrament that we've been talking about. Nor was the baptism of Jesus Christ this sacrament, because obviously Christ himself is God, so he does not have to be cleansed from original sin. He does not have to become a member of the body of Christ. He is Christ. So his baptism is a reality that takes place so that he can show the rest of the world who he is. Because you remember at that moment that he's baptized, the sky opens, the Spirit appears, and the voice of the Father is heard saying, This is my Son. Listen to him. This is the moment when he is showing his solidarity with us, when he's showing very clearly that his mission is to take upon himself the sins of the world so that he can free the world from sin. So don't confuse the baptism of Jesus with the baptism that you and I receive. And finally, don't confuse it with what is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is a phenomenon that many people have experienced, and they've experienced it as a revitalizing of their faith, as a renewal of their life in Christ and in the Church. But brothers and sisters, as St. Paul says to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There are not two baptisms, there is no second baptism, there is no extra baptism, there is no eighth sacrament. There are seven sacraments, and one of those seven sacraments is baptism, and we are baptized once and once only. The baptism in the Holy Spirit can be a special moment of grace, but it is not a sacrament. And it is not something uh, that um, should be presented as, an, as another baptism. We have one baptism, and in that one baptism, we have received the Holy Spirit. What baptism in the Holy Spirit and similar experiences do for us is to help us to unlock and to open up and to, and to make deeper use of the gifts that we've already received in our sacramental baptism, but by no means should they be confused. Well, we're going to continue to penetrate and, and, and reflect on the meaning of the sacraments. Let's receive the sacraments and promote them with great joy. We thank you for listening. This is Father Frank Cavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Let's pray every day that the whole world, in, in accordance with Christ's command, may accept baptism and the gift of eternal life. Thank you for joining us for Reflections of the Sacraments, presented by Father Frank Pavone, Director of Priests for Life.